Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing to look at the Gospel of Matthew. Um, We're in chapter 1. We had just finished up the list of the genealogies and left off at verse 16 was the last verse we looked at. So all the generations, this is verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Well, there's a problem with that. (laughs) He skips some things uh, and moves some people around, and then also that that the last one is actually only 13 generations. Um, So what I want to encourage you to do, because I'm not going to get into all this here, it's just way too much to get into, but it's interesting. You know, I'm going to say that it's very interesting, but I'm going to give you the right resource to look at for this. Um, The right resource is to go to YouTube and then look up the story, study, sorry, the study of Christianity, the study of Christianity. Go to their page and then scroll down and you'll see Matthew's genealogies. There's like 10 or 11, um, maybe more than that, (laughs) Um, but not many more than that. Um, videos there, and they're they're mostly ten minutes or so long, so it doesn't take a whole long time to 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 see it. And if you can watch the whole thing, or you can pick the ones that you want, they're well titled. Um, it, it, they they are very descriptive, so it tells you exactly what you're looking at. So he goes through this information quite well there. Uh, I, I trust his scholarship, and so I would I would encourage you to go to YouTube, the study of Christianity, and then the playlist called Matthew's genealogy. So anyway, that, that's all I'm going to say about the, those couple of sentences right there. <clears throat> now, we move on now. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I want you to say again, Christ is not a last name. Christ is not, his, uh, his father's name is not Joseph Christ, right? It means the anointed one. So Jesus, the Christ, so the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So she and Joseph are engaged. Now, being engaged in um, uh, in Judaism at that time, it, it still required a divorce to end it. There, there's a the process is called give the, of giving her the document about the divorce. It, it outlines why. And it's called a get, G-E-T. It's called a get. So, so you give a get to the woman, and then you move on with life. But, but it has to be dissolved by the rabbis. They, they have to see this process through because there's already been a bride price arranged and all that kind of stuff. And so there's, there's, a, there's a financial piece of this. But, but they are considered under the law as married couple. It, it requires a divorce to break this betrothal. So that's where this process is. And so she's betrothed to this man named Joseph that we heard about a minute ago, who is the son of Jacob. So before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke gives us a little more detail about what that means. But but here it just it's it's the most shocking thing that you could possibly say. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I mean that that's not an everyday occurrence. <laughs> what it's saying is is that they were betrothed, but they haven't come together yet, and she's pregnant. 
Well, that's the reason there were rumors, because they hadn't come together, and yet she was pregnant. It's also the reason that she says to the archangel, how can these things be, seeing that I'm a virgin? So to say that she is with child from the Holy Spirit is a shocking statement. It makes no sense. There is absolutely no predicate for this anywhere. It just happens. And Matthew treats it like, well, no big deal. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, which would indicate that this was a well-known story. It would indicate that people knew this, and they knew the backstory that Luke provides with the visitation from the archangel and the announcement. But here, we just get the barest minimum of this. And so her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. There was a public way that he could have done this. He could have gone public and declared her to be an adulterer, and he could have taken it that way. And then Mary would have been not just persona non grata, she would have more or less been off limits for pretty much anybody else to marry as well. And he could have done it that way. And that's how most people would handle it, right? You you find your betrothed pregnant, and you know you haven't been with her. You're probably, when she tells the story, not going to say, oh, okay, I get that. God did this. Not not another man, God. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, you're going to you're going to divorce her. And you're going to want to save your own face and save your own name, right? But no, he does it the other way around. He's a just man. So at some level he kind of believes Mary maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's just concerned that well maybe she's not all there, let's say. When she claims to be a virgin and is pregnant, well maybe there's a lot she doesn't understand. Maybe she's very simple. So that 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 seems to be the direction that he's willing to go. But, but he cared enough about Mary that he wasn't willing to put her to shame, so he was going to divorce her quietly. And the way to divorce her quietly is to not go through this judicial proceeding, and it's to say, well, I'm doing this. And at some level, this is going to look bad for Joseph if he does this, because there's going to be a presumption there. If he doesn't accuse her of, of an adulterous relationship, then, then it's somehow going to make him look bad because it's going to look like he's the father of, of this child, and then he walked away from it. it it's, it's a powerful thing. It's a very similar thing in an opposite way to what Boaz and Ruth do because Boaz is a guy who is unwilling to put her to shame as well, but he's willing to do the job of being a kinsman redeemer, and so he, he steps into this role and removes the shame of Ruth because her husband has died and she is childless. So he removes that curse from her by taking her as his wife and agreeing to provide a child. Here, it's the other way around. She's pregnant, and it looks like Joseph is abandoning her. If he does what he's going to do here, then he, he's going to take the shame on himself. <coughs> but as he considered these things, he's trying to figure it out. He's sorting it out in his mind. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, here we are again. We're, we're getting a, a very abbreviated genealogy here, right? Son of David. Joseph, son of David. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Jesus means the Lord save us. <coughs> um, it means... Yeah, the Lord saves. So she will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Well, that begs a whole lot of questions. What do you mean that what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit? Again, there's no predicate for this. I, I don't have any way of understanding this. There's no place anywhere in, in the Scriptures where this happens. But he seems to just receive this. She'll bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Who is his people, and what does it mean he'll save them from their sins? You know, it, it, it seems to be a, a pretty uh, basic understanding of the gospel that Jesus is the one who saved his people from their sins. Well, who are his people? All who believe in him. That Those are Jesus' people. And what does it mean that he saves them from their sins? Well, he saves them from the judgment on those sins. He saves them from, from death into life. But that, that, I don't think all that's going to be told to Joseph. I think, honestly, based on the, the, the way that I read all the Gospels, it doesn't seem like God sat down and gave them extended information about, oh, here's what's going to happen, and here's how he's going to do it. He's going to die on a cross, and then he's going to be raised to life three days later. It doesn't seem that they understood all of that. It does seem that Simeon got a word about it, and, and when Simeon shared his word, the, the parents were a little bit confused because it's, what do you mean? It will pierce your heart, Mary's heart. No, 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 no. I'm the mother of the Messiah, and the Messiah doesn't die on the cross. And so it doesn't seem like God gave them all the information where they could look and go, okay, I understand all of this. It looks like he just gave them the information they needed at that moment to make a decision based in faith. And that would fit in with literally everything else that's ever happened in the world. God doesn't give us the full picture of things. You know, I've had certainly times in my life when I've looked up and said, what am I doing here? Why am I here in this place? Why is, why is this difficult? The only reason I ever actually ask that question is when things are difficult, right? How did I get here? And then I can look back after enough time has passed. I think I've told this story before that, that I used to go. We would go um, when we lived in Knoxville, particularly. We would go to Chattanooga the day after Thanksgiving or we would spend Thanksgiving with, with my parents. And then on the next day, I would go out to the Chickamauga battlefield and I would walk. Well, the first time that I did it, I, I did a typical John thing. Right. So there the trail that I was going to go on was a Confederate battle line trail. And, and one of the, 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 so there's a, there's blazes that mark which way to go. Well, the trailhead and the trail end are very close to one another, maybe 50 yards apart. Well, the problem is I started at the wrong end. I started at the, the, the end of the trail, not at the beginning of the trail. And I walked a long way, I mean, several miles and then realized, you know, I, I haven't seen a blaze. I don't know where I am or what I'm doing. And then God took me back through my life and, and, and allowed me to look at it kind of in reverse. I, I began to think about inflection points in my life where something dramatically changed, whether we moved, I changed schools, I did whatever, any of those things. And, and I thought at the time those things were the worst possible things that could happen because I was having to let go of something and leave it behind. And I didn't have any choice in pretty much every single one of those matters. And then suddenly I turned around and I looked back and I saw the blazes and I realized, oh my gosh, I started at the wrong end. And so for the rest of the time, I had to continue to look back to see and make sure that I was still on the right trail. 
because I was looking for the color of the blaze, which would tell me was on the right trail or was on some other trail. So I, I, I was able to navigate just because of that. But the, it, it's the same way in life, right? When we get to those inflection points, God seems to give us short, keep us short of details. And, and there have been times when, when I've known for certain God took me to a place, and then it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. And then I began to ask God, what the heck? Did I go in the wrong direction? Did I misunderstand you in that place? And it's as though we assume that God would never lead us into a place where there's suffering in spite of the fact that we all know the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the shadow valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's all these things that we we think that if we're following God, we're never going to have a place of fear or doubt. No, he's going to take us into places in, in, in more often than we can imagine where we don't want to be, but we're there for a purpose and a reason. And it may not be so that we could be enriched and blessed. It may be so that, that we are in, in the right place at the right time that someone else can be blessed by the fact that we're there and we're handling the situation that's a difficult situation with aplomb because we have faith and we trust in a good and great God. And so here with Joseph, he doesn't get the full story, I don't think. God, I don't think God sat down in his dream and said, let me explain everything that's going to happen. No, he gave him the information he needed. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus for to save his people from their sins. And, and then Joseph has to make a decision in faith. So all this, and Matthew is going to tell us all the time about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, who is Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And nobody, nobody even imagined that this son called Emmanuel would literally be God and be God with us in a physical sense. And that's why John, I believe, is just marveling when he says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, the only Son of the Father. And, And so when John sees that, he's marveling at the actual fulfillment of the prophetic Word because no one, I mean, people imagine that there would be a Messiah, but no one ever imagined that it would be God himself who came and took on flesh. So Matthew tells us, yep, this is fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And then when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and she called it, he called his name Jesus. It's a powerful statement about who this man is, that he, he has this dream and he believes. He believes so completely that he's willing to, to essentially um, step into a situation where he knows he's not the father of this child, but he, he's willing to do this. It, it, it would probably take more than a dream <laughs> for me to do that. It would probably take an angelic visitation of the same kind that Mary got, and I would be asking myself, well, wait a minute, if she got that visitation to know that, then, then why am I denied that? Why, why do I only get a dream? But Joseph is a guy who, who believes in dreams. How do we know that? Because we are going to hear in a couple of minutes 
or not a couple of minutes, we're going to hear in the next couple of days about other dreams Joseph has, which God speaks to him. God came and spoke to Mary face to face with that angel, that archangel. With Joseph, it's always in dreams. He never has this sort of personal encounter with an archangel in real time. It's always in a dream that he gets these things. But that's enough for Joseph. He believes this thing is from God. He believes this word is from God. And and it confirms what he had been told by Mary. And so he's willing to take the risk and to step into this situation, which would be a difficult situation to say the least, not being the actual biological father, and, and to believe that indeed that all things are exactly as Mary had laid them out to be, no matter how improbable, unlikely, or unbelievable that story may have been. But Joseph was a just man. He was willing to do God's will, and he was willing to believe. And not only that, he was willing to act on the word of God spoken to him. He was willing to obey God's voice.